Welcome to TLD Talks, where we share insights about key legal and business matters that are impacting SMEs today. Bringing together experts from a range of backgrounds, we will be tackling the issues that matter to you. I'm Ed Simpson, the CEO of The Legal Director, and I'm joined on today's podcast by one of TLD's very experienced lawyers, Joe Alexander, and property agent Mark Nock of Compton Rose. And we're going to be discussing the commercial property market, and in particular, how it's evolved and changed as a result of the COVID pandemic. Welcome, Joe and Mark. For the benefit of listeners, Mark, could I ask you please to introduce yourself and the work that you do with your clients? Good afternoon. I'm Mark Nock. Um, I'm a charter surveyor and I'm owner of a, a practice called Compton Rose Property Consultancy, covering a range of property matters from acquiring properties, restructuring leases, project management, and a range of similar matters. Thank you. And Joe, could you please give us a quick overview of your practice area? So I specialize in commercial property. My clients are in the main retail clients, um, where I act for them in their capacity as tenants. But I also act for clients in the office sectors, warehouse sectors, and I do lease work and I do acquisitions, disposals and the like. Thank you. Um, Welcome both to the podcast. So let's start our discussion. The pandemic has obviously affected many aspects of, of our life, both personal and in business. And in particular, with people working from home, there have been some obvious knock-on effects in the property market. So Mark, could I ask you to just give your views of how the pandemic has affected the commercial property market as you see it? Um, yeah, I think the, the pandemic in many ways has accelerated changes that were already evolving in the property market. In retail, for example, we've seen massive growth within e-commerce for obvious reasons. Less expected, we've seen exponential growth in the warehousing and logistics sector. And in offices, a change to hybrid working. I mean, we've had just a massive global experiment of people working from home. And, you know, in the main, it's worked. The Office of National Statistics said that output per hours exceeded pre-pandemic levels. And the FTSE reached its pre-pandemic level in um, December 21. So in many ways, the experiment has worked. Joe, what have you seen in the retail sector in particular? So in the retail sector, obviously, we had um, various lockdowns throughout the pandemic that had a direct effect on sales because shops were ordered to close and therefore there was no footfall and offices were closed as well. There's been less footfall around the office Therefore, that's impacted upon the amount of people that are shopping in retail spaces. Another thing that has changed um, retail leases particularly is that tenants and landlords alike are looking towards more turnover-based rent in their leases because that feels a sort of fairer judge of the level that they should be paying as rent. Retailers are paying a higher rent than probably the market would now demand. So there's a look to re-gear their leases to bring that back into line with what the market now demands. I think also in, in offices, you know, this hybrid working is here to stay. And I think what we've seen is a move to a higher quality of space and a greater emphasis on collaboration. There'll be fewer people sat at desks in the offices, but people will come in two, three days a week and will be expecting a higher quality of environment with a different layout, a much more collaborative breakout sort of areas. 
I mean, I know your reference to uh, working environment was not really talking to sort of the environmental and social agenda, but obviously that is something that has become much more prominent now and a lot of businesses are beginning to take that much more seriously. Are you seeing the, the ESG agenda impacting either retail space or office space? Well, I think in the office sector, definitely. I mean, that's one of the big changes. I mean, a lot of this is driven by staff putting these sort of issues at the top of their lists. And because of the you know, well-recorded issues of recruiting and retaining staff post a pandemic, occupiers need to make sure that the offices meet the required criteria. There's a growing evidence now, a direct correlation between rental growth and BRIAM and EPC certification of buildings. So there's sort of a two-tier market emerging. And thinking about the way that occupiers are looking at their commitments under their leases, have you seen that that has changed at all as a result of the, the pandemic? I think so. I think it's, it's certainly in the retail sector, it's brought into focus some of the more what I would call standard lease terms that one would have seen are now being started to be questioned. So, for example, it's a normal requirement generally that if a, a tenant in what we call a new lease, i.e. one that postdates 1995, is a requirement that the outgoing tenant, if they're assigning the lease, enters into what's called an AGA, which is a guarantee agreement, which guarantees the incoming assignee's obligations under the lease. Now, often tenants are wanting to include a provision to say that if it's reasonable to do so, they will enter into it rather than it being an absolute obligation. They're also looking at break clauses and how they sort of have an out in leases because naturally landlords, if if there's less of a demand on retail space, um, are wanting to hang on to those tenants so they don't face empty shops. And so tenants are sort of focusing a little bit more on break clauses and how those are operated within the lease. Mark, what are you seeing in the office space world? I think a, a change in emphasis in terms of lease flexibility, you know, a five-year term has, has been the norm for some time on second-hand buildings. But I think we're starting to see that in new properties as well. In Bristol, for example, I'm aware of one recent transaction with a firm of lawyers where they needed that five-year break flexibility and were willing to pay a higher rent to receive it. I think also with shorter lease commitments, there's a greater emphasis on exit costs when the terms are being negotiated and leases drafted. You know, things like schedules of condition, service charge caps, looking at reinstatement provisions, etc. You know, these factors have significant implications on the costs of exiting a building. So why not make sure they're considered up front? As I said earlier, getting staff back into the office, recruiting, retaining good quality staff is key for many businesses. And so the premises, how they're fitted out, is becoming more and more important. I've heard sort of CFOs talk about the higher property budget is offset by a lower budget for HR. And it's easy to see how this is the case. I think I echo those comments as well. And I think when entering into the lease, tenants particularly are looking for more flexibility. They've seen what's happened. A pandemic hit us and we didn't see it coming effectively. How, how good we have. And it's therefore affected their business. And, and they focus their, themselves more onto the cost side of things when entering into these documents and also the flexibility on exiting them. Tenants looking for more flexible terms, potentially less space, but willing to pay a bit more for it is what I seem to be hearing as a, as a general theme there. I think, I think also with office occupiers needing less space as a result of hybrid working, which can generate some cost savings. But that's only the case if you can adjust your, your real estate so it's in line with sort of new business needs. 
you know, in some cases, that's going to mean subletting, assigning, surrendering some of the existing leasehold commitments. You know, I've been involved in some major downscaling office space over the pandemic, and it's required some innovative thinking. So, um, Mark, you already mentioned about the shift to hybrid working, and it does seem that that is a change that's going to become permanent. The other changes that you've been talking about, do you think they're here to stay as well? I think absolutely, because these are these are things that hadn't come up before the pandemic and it's focused people's minds on that on the financial side and as well the flexibility side so i can't see certainly in the short to medium term that changing much i'd agree i think e-commerce is it will continue to grow uh, physical retail will come back as people return to businesses in the city centers and tourism and business travel picks up again Personally, I'm not sure it'll ever be the same. I think it needs to reinvent itself. I think also we'll see warehouse and logistics market continuing to pick up steam, mainly because of just the current imbalance in the supply and demand. You know, new bills just can't keep pace with the demand due to issues like planning, site availability, supply chain issues. Yeah, I agree with that. There's certainly a demand in the warehouse market. And I've seen that in deals that I've done in the last few months that when when a tenant's found some warehousing space that they do not want to let go of it at any cost. So that then, you know, that they accept terms that they might not normally accept, or they're paying a rent higher than they, they might normally pay just to secure that space because it is in such short supply. To agree with with the points you were making, Mark, about how office space is being reconfigured, it's a, a message I'm hearing from a number of business owners. They do want to get their employees back into the office, but they know that they need to persuade them to do so. And one of the ways they're going to do that is by making the office a, an amazing place to be. Yeah, I, I'd agree. The attraction of being back in the office will depend on the, you know, the type of job, the age, the suitability of people's home for working, personal circumstances. Generally, younger people want to be back in the office for training, mentoring, social reasons, more than maybe older people with children who continued flexibility will be attractive. I think it also depends on the type of business as well. I mean, the, the culture and the attitude of its leaders will have a big impact on how they choose to work in the future. And I think too, just in terms of the COVID cases arising again, it feels. And so that's going to focus people's minds on do they want to get back on that public transport to get into an office in a city centre or not? Um, On the retail restaurant sector, is that going to have an impact? We'll have to see. One interesting point I saw in the paper the other day, I noticed John Lewis has said there's a 47% increase in the sale of irons. So maybe we are getting back into the office and we're (laughs) we're aiming to look a bit smarter when we get there. (laughs) There you go. Um, So, Joe, thinking about the documentation that is associated with with leases, we've already touched a little bit on break clauses and how the pandemic has led to some evolution in, in how those are dealt with. What other changes are you seeing in lease documentation? So I think um, certainly the introduction of what we call COVID or pandemic clauses, they were never standard in lease documents where they might have been in more commercial contracts. Again, people don't know what's going to happen. This is something we none of us have experienced in our lifetime. So tenants are wanting to protect themselves in the event that there is another lockdown. That seems to make more sense to preempt what the agreement is rather than how it's played out over the last year or two, where landlords and tenants are saying, well, I'm not paying my rent. And then the discussion is around, well, what concession will we give you? It's sort of set in stone already. So that's certainly either being dealt with in a lease or by way of a side letter as a personal concession to a tenant. 
and landlords are, are they're quite happy to give that concession in order to secure that tenant to stay there um, if they've got a break coming up or um, to secure a new tenant into a new um, retail space. That's one big one. And um, as I mentioned earlier as well, the requirement to enter into an ARGA on lease assignment, certainly I as acting for a tenant will be pushing for a reasonableness requirement there rather than an absolute requirement. Mark, you mentioned offices being reconfigured, so that might involve some internal works. Are you seeing landlords taking a a different approach to requests for alterations? Uh, No, I don't think it's a different approach. I mean, as I said, a lot of office occupiers will want to improve the quality and the configuration of their space. They just need to make sure these are all done in accordance with the lease. You know, minor works are permissible under the lease, but others, more structural works, will require consent. So it's about getting plans and specifications together to support the license to alter. If you don't do that, then obviously there's risks associated with that and forfeiture of the lease. And also that alterations, if they're not properly documented, can be rentalized. So the tenant spent the money improving the property and then find the landlord charges an extra rent to reflect that if things aren't done in the proper way. Yeah, absolutely. There's certainly, there's been no changes to the fact that we need to do it in a proper way. And and tenants must realise that they need to look at to who's paying for those initial fit out works, for example. Is there a capital contribution being paid, etc.? And then the lease needs to reflect on what happens at um, lease expiry and in regards to dilapidations and also, as Mark pointed out, on rent review. So picking up on rent reviews, have you seen any changes to the way that rent reviews are being handled, either as a result of the pandemic or just because of how the property market is evolving? No, I think it's not pandemic related, but we're in a rising market and you know rents are increasing. So from a tenant's perspective, it's important when the review date comes that they seek to try and settle that review as quickly as possible, which may well require using the rent review provisions such as applying for a third party in order to reach a negotiated settlement as early as possible. The converse, the landlord may want to see some delay there because the market is growing and rents are continuing to increase and obviously creating a higher rental evidence for them to use at the review. Yeah. And generally, um, for those that aren't aware, in in rent review clauses, generally time is not of the essence. So the parties aren't necessarily bound to decide on the new rent by a particular date. So it is easy for either party to sort of drag their heels if it suits them. I've noticed as well where retail clients of mine might take normally a 10-year lease with a five-year break. They're asking for other breaks in the lease. And they're also where there's a break now or in, there has been in the last year, they've exercised the break and used that to leverage the rent. So where they're paying more than they should be paying, they are entering into new leases to take effect when that break happens. For example, five years with no rent review. So they're agreeing the rent now and that will carry on through. So there could actually be a an opportunity for tenants to leverage either a break clause or a rent review clause to bring in some of the other items we've been talking about, reconfiguring space, downsizing. Absolutely. Yeah. A rent review is an opportunity to engage with the landlord. So it's also an opportunity to talk about other matters. It may well be, as Joe said, tenants willing to enter into a longer lease on part of the property in return for maybe handing back the lease on another part. So you know, it is an opportunity to bring other things to the table. And I, and I guess 
being able to understand what's driving the landlord is going to be key to to getting the best deal. Uh, that's right. Understanding what's driving the landlord, you know, the value of their property. For example, if there's you know a break, maybe just a few years away, if the occupier can see themselves there long term, to approach the landlord early to talk about removing that break because it improves the free old investment value for the investor. And so they're attracted by that and may well be willing to offer a, a softer deal in terms of the rent review. And I think as well, regardless of whether there's a break in your lease or a rent review in your lease, you can open those discussions now. And I've just been doing a deal with a client who has agreed a variation of their rent, a reduction in their rent, quite significant reduction. And in return, they remove next year's break, but also enter into what we know as a reversionary lease. So they're entering into a new 12-month lease to take effect when their current lease expires in 2027. So it gives the landlord knowledge that they're going to have that tenant who they find attractive and want to retain. And it gives the tenant as well, you know, in return, effectively a, a massive rent reduction. Thinking about dilapidations, this is one area that can be a very large liability for tenants, especially if they haven't planned for them properly. Are you seeing any changes to how dilapidations discussions are being approached? And either way, what sort of pearls of wisdom can you offer to CFOs that might be just starting to think about how they deal with dilapidations on exiting a lease? I think they need to be fully aware of what their obligations under that lease are because the lease will dictate what happens on expiry and yielding up and who is responsible for what. Do they need to remove fixtures and fittings, works they've done or not? And a lot of times when a client is fitting out a premises, it would be worth, we touched on it earlier, worth understanding who's paying for what and does that investment that, for example, the tenant's making improve the landlord's reversion. And if it does, then they certainly shouldn't be required to reinstate that on, on expiry. So it's, it's the practical that the CFO should be thinking about as well as what they're going to be using the property for and if that impacts upon the landlord's reversion positively. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. It might be advantageous for tenants to carry out some works which are going to survive any supersession. You know, the improvement in the reversionary value, as, as Joe says. And it can be sometimes cheaper if you if you carry out some works because you can tender those rather than paying a fixed sum to the landlord. It's also worth looking at you know what savings can be made as, as a result of the scheduled condition. And occupiers need to assess whether any part of any dilaps can be passed on to a, a subtenant. In a rising market, the landlord will want the property back in good repair quickly so they can relet it. They'll also want to maybe improve the property to to relet it. So we need to ensure that. Any sort of savings through supersession are negotiated. Are you seeing any areas of constraint in the market at all or in any sectors? I mean, I'm walking around London and some of its suburbs, there do seem to be quite a lot of unoccupied shop spaces. But from what I'm hearing, the, the office sector is still quite hot at the moment. What are you seeing, Mark, in the sort of the warehouse and office sectors? Well, as I said earlier, there, I mean, there is a real shortage of warehouse and the logistics space, and that's likely to continue. And so we've seen some absolutely massive growth in, in rents, which is going to be really tough on our occupiers because these are big increases and that may well not be in line with the costs that they're charging their customers for the goods. That creates a real problem 
Similarly with offices, we've seen pent-up demand during the pandemic and growth in labour markets, and, and the two contributed to a real increase in office take-up. So I think in the last quarter of 2021, we saw a big increase in take-up, and in the beginning of this year, as COVID restrictions were lifted, that's continued to grow. So we'll soon be back to pre-pandemic levels of, of office take-up. I think in retail, there, there isn't a constraint particularly. As you, you mentioned, there's, we walk past every high street, even shopping centres, and there's boarded up shops. What there does seem to be a fun fight over is good space. So space, particularly in a shopping centre that has good footfall. And those retailers who have done well and continue to do well during the pandemic, um, there's often competition for those spaces. But other than that, landlords are very keen to fill the spaces and therefore tenants have a much easier job than they used to of negotiating rent freeze for the start of the lease and those sorts of things. So my comments don't necessarily echo what Mark said, but it's obvious that there's a difference between the warehousing office and retail sectors, definitely. Okay. And looking into the future, I'm going to ask you to get your crystal balls out. Um, How do you see the commercial property market continuing to evolve? I mean, we've talked about some of the changes and and how some of them look like they're here to stay. What do you see the future as holding for the, for the sector? I think um, we're still affected by the pandemic. So it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of months, year, how that pans out. The events that are happening in the Ukraine at the moment are affecting the market here. I certainly have one client who has retail presence in both Ukraine and in Russia. And for obvious reasons, they're not able to trade in either country at the moment, or they've chosen not to anyway. And so their focus is very much on growing their retail in countries where they are able to trade. So I think the pandemic is certainly affecting that. And now we've got the added curveball of what's happening in Ukraine and Russia I think um, it's it's hard to predict with a crystal ball what the markets might look like. I think some of the changes we've spoken about today are definitely here to stay, but the economy very much is precarious at the moment. And I think it's hard to know how that's all going to play out over the next sort of, you know, short to medium term. And of, of course, there's a lot in the news at the moment about inflation in the economy. Bank of England put up base rates. How's that going to impact the sector, do you think? Well, at the start of the year, you know, the increased inflation was not considered to be long lasting and, and was likely to result in a modest rise in interest rates. But, you know, what's happening in Ukraine could potentially change all of that. And it's really difficult to predict at, at this stage. Do you see, Joe, thinking about the retail sector, further changes in how people do their shopping and the difference between sort of out of town retail parks, sort of shops moving out of city centres? Do you think that's going to accelerate? I think it's going to very much depend on what happens with the office sector, because those shops in the city centres, particularly that are frequented by office workers, will definitely be impacted. Those in retail parks, shopping centres, and high streets that aren't dependent on office traffic, if you like, they will eventually go back to pre-pandemic levels. There's certainly some people online shop now than they used to, because that was the only choice we had, quite frankly, in the pandemic for parts of it anyway. But I think certainly my clients are seeing their sales increase as, as the weeks and months go on. Just finally looking into the future, we've 
touch briefly on the ESG agenda. What about sustainability and net zero? How is that impacting the sector, if at all? Certainly on fit out, landlords are requiring certain levels of sustainability within a tenant's fit out. Some of the more institutional landlords, particularly in central London, are meeting the tenants halfway, if you like. So they're saying, we need you to do a sustainable fit out. We'll bear some of the costs of that to get the energy rating of this building up to whatever level they've agreed. So I'm certainly seeing more of that being drafted in new deals. Mark, is that being reflected in the warehouse and office sector as well? Well, certainly in sustainability is the big issue for 2022. You know, the government are aiming to get to zero emissions and there's talk of tightening of the EPC to a minimum of C by 2025. So and there'll be questions about landlords and tenants who contributes to what. Certainly in new leases, I think that will be a big factor. You know, obviously tenant wanting to limit what their exposure is to any major changes required to building in order to meet new EPC requirements. Just wrapping things up and bringing them to a conclusion, if you were talking to a CFA or a property director, what would you be advising them as the key things that they should have at the top of their agenda, things that they should be doing now to prepare for the changes we've been talking about? They just need to understand their property portfolio, where their liabilities sit and understand the leases, understand when the trigger dates in their leases are, their breaks, rent reviews, those sorts of things. Prepare for them, open that dialogue up with the landlord, speak to us about their options under the lease and also with our experience of leveraging the documents themselves and just opening up that discussion because whether a lease governs what happens next, you know, if the parties come to a commercial agreement over something, then we can just vary those lease documents. So it's really understanding the market and speaking to their advisors as to what their documents contain and what they should be looking to contain if they're entering into new leases going forward. So understand what you've got, plan ahead, take advice yes, and, and leave plenty of time to make your decisions and, and engage with your landlord. Exactly. Mark, anything to add? Um, not really. I, I think we need to make sure that real estate continues to be factored into the overall business strategy, budgeting. We talked about rent reviews, making sure you're aware of where rents are going to increase. Concentrate on lining offices with future business needs. It was always important. You don't want more office space than you actually need. Building in flex where you can to allow for future changes or shocks to the market. ESG and the cost of improving offices to meet new standards. Managing lease events, as Joe said, and to maximise opportunities, leave plenty of time to give the best outcomes. One thing that I had had in my notes to touch on, which we haven't done yet, is when tenants are looking at their fitting out, whether it's office, warehouse, retail, they're taking into account the issues around the pandemic and supply of materials. So often when the parties enter into an agreement for lease conditional upon landlords' works or tenants' works, etc., parties are looking at um, making those long stop dates a little bit longer to deal with any supply issues that there might be in the market. So that's something definitely to think about. Thank you. That brings us to the end of the podcast today. It's been a great discussion. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Joe. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed our discussion today, you can subscribe to our monthly TLD talks covering a wide range of legal and management topics. You'll find details on our website, thelegaldirector.co.uk. And you can also find us on Apple, Spotify, and Google. 
If you'd like to know more about the commercial property market and how it is evolving, or the wider work of the legal director, then do give us a call on 020 3053 8613 or visit our website.